0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. One of the things that uh, we have been doing this week as a staff and uh, as you have, I'm sure, in your own homes, praying for our nation. You can see pictures of uh, the state capitol as well as our U.S. capitol. And uh, we recognize we live in the midst of a broken, fallen world. And uh, as you, I've been heartbroken over the affairs of this week. I saw one of our uh, police officers in uniform over there. Escobar, where are you, brother? I saw him out there, back over there. Thank you. And the many men and women in our church, who serve. On my, uh, this is what I posted the day after all the things that happened in our nation, Baton Rouge, Minnesota, um, Dallas, heartbroken, praying for the body of Christ to rise up and model Jesus to a broken world, starting with me. And uh, that's really my prayer, guys. We, we live in a broken world. Uh, it's, it's jacked up. And uh, we know that the good news of the gospel is the only thing that's going to change this world. And we each have a sphere of influence. We may not be able to impact the entire world, but we can impact the sphere God's placed us in. And uh, this is a community that I personally love, you love. Uh, We decided a long time ago, this is our home. We're going to invest as mightily as we possibly can uh, with you, but also in the community. And by God's grace, we've had that privilege. And it it breaks my heart, really, uh, to see the affairs of our world and what's happened. And uh, so... Here's what I'd like to do this morning. Uh, In our community this week, on Thursday evening, I believe that is, July 14th, 630 downtown, uh, there's going to be a rally for peace. I'll be out of town that evening, but uh, if you would like to join with other people in our community, take a look around our body right now. Right now, we are red, yellow, black, and white. Uh, We pass out uh, about headphones every week, third hour. Those are live Spanish translations. There's one of our brothers in the booth back there, a sister uh, in the booth back there doing a live translation as I preach. They listen 9.30, translate for our Spanish speakers uh, at the 11 o'clock hour, and uh, God has blessed this church. We, we're growing more and more diversified, and our prayer is that that will continue to happen. If you were with us last hour, uh, we had folks sitting in the lobby because it was too crowded to get them in here, and uh, God continues to do a work here. So, Our prayer is that he will take our diversity, he'll take our body, he'll take our common bond in Jesus and allow us to make an impact in the world that we're in, in the community. We're in the community that we love. So would you join me in praying for that? Here's what I'm going to have us do this morning a little different. Would you stand and would you find uh, folks to join hands with across the aisles? Would you just reach out across the aisles? You may have to move around a little bit in sections where it's not filled and find somebody to grab hands with as we pray for our nation and pray for... Our time this morning, Father. It's with great joy that we come together to worship you, but Father, we come heartbroken as well. Lord, a nation that we love, a state that we love, uh, has has just experienced great tragedy. And so, Father, we intercede. We intercede for the gospel, Father. We recognize many have sacrificed so much so we can have freedom, and now it seems like we're turning on one another. I thank you, Father, that regardless of race and color and creed and background, that when we come to know Jesus, all those walls go away and that we become one in the Savior. Father, our world needs that, our nation needs that, our state needs that, our community needs it. Would you let us be conduits of grace, conduits of grace to those around us. Let us model Jesus in a dark place. Father, may our small lights shine in bright ways to do what we can not to our glory, but to your glory. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you open your Bibles or turn your apps on to Matthew chapter 18, Matthew the 18th chapter. You know, this series has been really encouraging to me and to our staff as we've prepared it. Uh, We have actually seen a number of folks trust Christ as Savior. In the series, we have uh, heard of some broken relationships being reconciled and and folks embracing Jesus. So we're grateful. We're grateful for the work of the Holy Spirit uh, through His Word and through our focus upon the Savior. Amen? That's what we're about. So this morning, we look at another Jesus is. We've all been hurt by someone. Uh, Just in the past few months, I've had folks come to me and say, Pastor Gary, she destroyed our family. And i am never repented, never apologized, and I'm supposed to forgive her? Pa- Pastor Gary, um, my mom, I'm an adult woman. My mom is so cutting, so mean, hurts me so much. I still have to forgive her? Pastor Gary, I hear you and uh, Miss Bev talk about uh, being grandparents and how you take your grandkids all the time and do those things. My parents have nothing to do with my kids, their grandkids, because they're living their life on their own. Pastor Gary, my dad never, never, never praised us. No matter what we did, it was never enough. I'm supposed to forgive him. These are conversations I've had in the last few months. The list could go on and on and on. As you know, we could all probably chime in and say something about that. When we've been hurt, when we've been maligned, when we've been rejected, when we've been damaged, maybe ditched by a boyfriend or girlfriend, hurt by a friend, rejected by a spouse, maligned by a coworker, maybe damaged by a spiritual leader, maybe a pastor, maybe an elder. How are we as Christ followers supposed to respond? As those who claim the gospel and want to live gospel-centered lives, as as folks who have been transformed internally, how are we supposed to live? What are we supposed to do with this hurt, with this pain, and how are we supposed to respond? Well, many in our world respond in anger, as we see all the time, and in bitterness and in resentment and with revenge. In fact, I began to do a little research on that this week. If you go to revenge.com, they have over a thousand ideas on how to get revenge against somebody else over a thousand ideas. Th- then there's another website. It's called Masters of Revenge. You could hire them to do it for you. They will anonymously seek revenge against somebody else through any number of ways, anonymous text messages, emails, uh, tapping into various things, all legal, they say. I- I'm not going to try it, obviously. But uh, these are all things that they do so you can seek revenge. When we're hurt, ditch, rejected, maligned, damaged, many people do this. Even Hallmark, had the app. Hallmark had what they called bitterness cards for a while. They took them off after a lot of complaints, but you can go online, search it out, and you can find this. And, and here are some of those cards. This is what they look like. I always wanted to have someone to hold, someone to love, and now that you come into my life, I've changed my mind. <laughs> Actual card. Uh, here's another one. Someday I hope to marry someone other than you that just, I mean, that, that oozes with bitterness, doesn't it? Here's another one. When we were together, you said you'd die for me. Now we've broken up. I think it's time for you to keep your promise. He'd <laughs> go, wow. Some of you thinking, where do I buy a card like that? <laughs> um, looking back over the years we've been together, I can't help but wonder, what in the world was I thinking? Uh, last week I had reason to become angry, bitter, resentful, uh, hurt, but I've chosen not to. On Monday, my kids who were all in for the holiday weekend went up and walked to the back and said, hey, d- hey dad, have you seen what's on the back of your car? <laughs> and I said, uh, no, what, what's back there? And They said, we need to go out in the driveway and look what's on back of your car. They said, it's been there since uh, Sunday. This is Monday before they went back home on 4th of July. And uh, on back of my car, somebody had put this emblem. It says Cat Lover right under the big (laughs) LSU thing. So I've chosen not to seek revenge, not to be bitter, not to be resentful, not to be angry. And I want you to man up and come tell me who you are, whoever did it. (laughs) So we can have fellowship together actually, I love to play jokes. I think it's cool. Whoever did that, uh, I owe you, but I'm going to let you skate, okay? So really, it's a great joke that the great prank uh, that they got me on. How is a disciple of Jesus Christ supposed to respond when you're hurt, when you're wounded, when you're messed over? We forgive even if they don't apologize or repent. What are we supposed to do? Jesus teaches us about forgiveness in Matthew chapter 19. He answers a question asked by one of the disciples. Now, if one of the disciples is going to ask a question, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Peter, of course. Peter's the one who asked the question. And so Christ responds, Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21. So Matthew 18, 21. Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? So note the context. The context is Peter comes to Christ. He asks a question. And it 's on the heels of Jesus talking about church discipline when a person won 't repent, and so peter 's thinking this through, and he 's saying, "Lord, how many times are have to forgive somebody, And note well the scenario: they sin against me. Lord, this is somebody sinning against me there 's no mention of repentance, there 's no admission of apologetic nature of this person. He just said, "Lord, somebody is offending me, somebody is sinning against me, Lord, how many times should I forgive?" Now, to give you a little context, in the book of Amos, it says in chapter one, chapter two, that God forgave Israel two, three, yet four times. And so the Pharisees tried to codify all this and they said, well, we forgive up to three times. They're saying that's how many times God forgave Israel. That's how many times we should forgive. And after three, we stop. And believe me, the book of Amos was not about how many times you forgive because God forgave the nation of Israel way more than three times in their history. Over and over and over and over he forgave them. And so Peter says, Lord, I'll forgive up to seven times. I'll do way more than they do. I'll forgive up to seven times. So Peter says, I'll double what they have and I'll throw one. I'll raise it by one and I'll do a good measure. I'll get to the number of perfection, the number seven. And Lord, I'll forgive over. I'll forgive up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, and you're familiar with this. I do not say to you, Peter, seven times, but up to 70 times seven. He doesn't say, get your calculator out and keep track. And when you get to 491, you don't have to forgive anymore. Basically, what Jesus is saying is a forgiven man forgives, period. A forgiven woman forgives, period. A forgiven person is a person who forgives. When you understand how much you've been forgiven, all you can do is forgive over and over and over and over and over again. You don't keep tally. You don't keep track. I try and walk a lot, try and stay in decent shape. uh, And so I have an, an app on my phone that keeps track of the number of steps I take every day. And so I go to that at the end of the day, and my goal is 10,000 steps a day. And so if I don't meet that goal, sometimes I'll just kind of walk around the neighborhood, climb some stairs, or do something else to kind of get there, because I'm keeping track the whole day. Jesus says, don't get an app on your phone that keeps track of 490 times and quit forgiving. That's not what you're supposed to do. And so Jesus does what he often does. He tells a story, it's a parable, if you will, to illustrate to Peter what he's talking about. And so he says, Peter, let me tell you a story. He says, for this reason, the the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with the slaves. So you've got a king who has slaves, verse 23. Then in verse 24, when he began to settle accounts with them, he brought one in who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, talent was a measure of weight varied in size between uh, 60 and 80 pounds. It was used to weigh precious metal. So this is an insurmountable amount of money. A slave would never have that. It's a parable. He's speaking a hyperbole here. It's an exaggeration. A slave would never have this amount of money unless he won the lottery that somebody won this past week. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made to him. So the slave comes to the master. He has this, extra, this extraordinary amount of debt he can't possibly repay. He's going to be cast into the debtors' prison. His family's going to be sold. And uh, he goes to the master. Look at verse 26. The slave, therefore, uh, falling down, prostrated himself before the master and said, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything it's an impossible promise. He can't possibly repay him. A slave would work his entire life and not be able to redo that. So the Lord of the slave felt, if you circle anything in your Bible underline he felt what? Compassion. Circle that. Released him. Circle the word release and forgave. Circle that word. Compassion released and forgave. He, the, he comes to his master. He owes this insurmountable debt. Uh, somebody has calculated that to be in excess of $10 million in today's money. This guy owes over $10 million, and the May. he goes to the master and says, please don't sell me. He throws himself down. The master has mercy upon him and totally forgives a debt. That's an amazing story. If it ended there, we would say, wow, what a master. And what a great gift of grace and mercy to the slave. But, verse 28, circle of my Bible. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. Denarii is one day's wages. So he owes him a hundred days wages, a little more than three months wages. That's it. He'd just been forgiven $10 million plus worth of debt. He finds a guy who owes him three months worth of wages. He seizes him and he begins to choke him and he says, pay back what you owe me. So his fellow slave fell down, began to entreat him and said, have patience with me and I'll repay you much like he had asked his master to do with him. He was unwilling, there it is, he's unwilling. However, it went and threw him in prison until he could pay back what he owed. Well, you can't pay back what you owe in prison. He's gonna be in prison the rest of his life. So when his fellow slaves saw what happened, they were deeply grieved and they came back and reported to their master all that had happened. So you understand the story? There's a slave who owes this insurmountable debt. He can't possibly repay it, but a kind, gracious, merciful master forgives him of the debt. That forgiven slave then turns around and finds a guy who owes him a pittance in comparison, and he refuses to work with the guy. In fact, he has him cast into prison. The master hears what's happening, and look what happens in verse 32. Summing him, the master said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And the master hand- moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that he owed. So shall my heavenly father do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your own heart. Wow. What is Jesus teaching here? Well, Jesus is teaching about what we experienced. You see, we had this insurmountable debt, the debt of sin. We could no way repay it. Is impossible to repay so what happened our master forgave us that debt by dying in our place he released us from that debt that's what the word forgive means actually and feeling because he had compassion for us for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son and we've been forgiven a debt that we could no way repay we used to do a praise song about uh, he paid a debt we could not pay you remember that song so, so he paid a debt we could in no way pay. And his application to Peter is, when you understand, Peter, how much you have been forgiven, how can you then not forgive someone else a pittance in comparison? It's a tough teaching. You say, Pastor Gary, I've been hurt. I've been abused. Pastor Gary, I, I, I've had a, a business partner take advantage of him. Pastor Gary, I had your argument is not with me, my friends, it's with Jesus. Because what Jesus is saying is a forgiven person forgives. Remember, Peter came to him and the question was not what do I do with the repentant brother or the apologetic brother, but Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And the answer, Peter, is when you understand how much you have been forgiven, a forgiven person forgives, period. A forgiven person forgives. And we look at that and say, man, that's tough. In our world, we would much rather do what? Seek revenge. I mean, it's much easier. It's much easier to seek revenge. thought about that when I read the following story, a newlywed... uh, a newlywed couple, married only six months. The wife called her mom and said, Mom, he fought with me again. I'm coming to live with you. And the mom said, No, darling, we're going to make him pay. I'm coming to live with you. (laughs) I mean, let's face it. That's the world we live in. That's how we live. That's how we try and get even. But here's the reality. It begins, guys, with us understanding how much we've been forgiven. It begins with us accepting Christ as our savior because the debt of our sin is insurmountable. We cannot pay for it, we can't work it off, we can't earn it, there's nothing we can do. He paid the price for our redemption. Several months ago, I used this illustration, so bear with me once again. When I was a kid, if you're under 40, you're not gonna understand this because it doesn't happen. If you're over 40, you can relate to this. So uh, they used to have bottles like this that you would bring back to get a deposit for you. Remember that? I mean, you bought your drinks in a bottle, and uh, this is pre-cans and that type of stuff, and bottling companies would actually buy bottles back, clean them, and refill them. Sounds kind of nasty now, but that's what they did. And then they would resell their product. And so uh, the process was called redemption. That's what the process was called. Redemption is different from recycling, at least at one very important point— while recycling destroys something in order to reuse it. When something is recycled, you take it, you destroy it, then you remake it into something different. Redemption buys something back so its original design and purpose is possible. See, that's what Christ is doing. He did that for creation. He's doing that for us. Our original design fell in the garden with Adam and Eve, and he's in the process of redeeming it he has bought us back through christ and when we live gospel-centered lives lives that are filled with the spirit we live lives of forgiveness but but i don't want you to mishear me it starts it starts with us knowing christ personally you can't have a heart of forgiveness unless you understand forgiveness so the first point is i trust if you don't know christ to save you you'll do that secondly when i read this passage I can't walk away from it without stating that an unforgiving heart may be the sign of an unrepentant heart. An unforgiving heart may be the sign of a unrepentant heart, of a heart that's not been transformed by the gospel. And so let me put it this way. If you are latching onto something and refuse to forgive, maybe it's because you don't understand forgiveness, which also means maybe you don't understand Christ. And you may have religion but you don't know Jesus because his point of the parable is when you understand how much you've been forgiven, a forgiven person forgives. We're saying, Gary, that's easy to teach, but it's hard to do. And Jesus had the same, same battle. I mean, he had the same battle we had because, uh, he needed to learn. He needed to demonstrate that. By the way, John MacArthur says forgiveness, nothing is more foreign to sinful human nature. Nothing is more characteristic of divine grace and unforgiving Christian. The Contradiction of Terms. So Jesus applied this lesson multiple times, but I want to point out two times when he did it. The first one is found in Luke chapter 22. It's an extended passage. You know the story. Jesus had to apply this to a friend. The friend is a guy who asked him the question. The friend is Peter. There was a night when a cock crowed, a rooster crowed. And when that rooster crowed, Peter and Jesus made eye contact. And when Jesus looked at Peter, he didn't look at him with, I told you so eyes. He didn't look at him with eyes of, you've disappointed me. He looked at him with eyes of empathy and sympathy because Peter too had been tempted, or Jesus too had been tempted by Satan. And he had not fallen. Now Peter had cracks in his foundation and the third time that he openly said he did not know Jesus and was not one of his, the cracks in that foundation were as wide as the cracks in Brought on by an earthquake. And Peter fell right through that. And when he fell through, he fell into hopelessness, into an abyss. The scriptures tell us in the Gospels that Peter began to weep. Weeping is something you don't control, it's something that controls you. And you can almost hear Peter as he beats his chest saying, Oh God, oh God, why did I do that? Why did I do that? I take it back, I take it back. But it's too late. You ever hit send on a text or click on an email or have words come out of your mouth and think, man, I wish I could reel that back out of cyberspace. I wish I could take those words back. I'm the only one who has done that. (laughs) Like Paul, I'm the chief of sinners here. I know that. I mean, I've done that. You've done that. We've all done that. I imagine Peter thousands of times and he heard a rooster crowing the rest of his life reflected on that night and wished I wouldn't have happened. But it did. He betrayed the Savior that he loved. He betrayed the Savior who had given his life, was on his way to give his life for him. And if the story ended here, it'd be a miserable story. Peter would be a miserable man. He would have gone back to the Sea of Galilee to fish for fish and not fish for men. And let's be honest, some of us are mired in the muck of rejection and failure and unforgiveness and, and we're not moving forward. We're like, uh, pigs. I mean, we're, we're just, we're just like this. I mean, my grandparents on my mom's side had a farm. They had some pigs in that farm as well as a menagerie of other animals in the summertime, especially when it was hot like it is here right now. That they would love to sit in the, wa- in the mud and the water and they didn't want to get out of it. It didn't matter. And some of us are like those pigs wallowing in discontentment, doing nothing about it. But praise God that Jesus does not stop there with Peter. Jesus' grace is truly amazing. He applies his teaching on forgiveness to Peter, and you're familiar with the story. It's post-resurrection. The disciples are fishing. Jesus is on the shore fixing breakfast. They finally recognize who it is. Peter jumps out of the boat. Peter is now face-to-face with Jesus around a campfire. Three times he denied Jesus at a campfire. Now three times around a different campfire, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then feed my sheep. And a third time, Peter, do you love me? And and he says, yes, Lord, I, I love you. And one of the things we often miss in this, three times at a campfire, he restores Peter had fallen three times at a campfire. He's bringing old things back to new. He's redeeming the old and giving Peter new. And one of the things we miss is at the end of verse 19, he looks at Peter and he says, okay, Peter, now follow me. Follow me. Peter had heard that same call at the start of the ministry of Jesus. Peter, follow me. And I'll make you a fisherman. Man, Jesus saying, Peter, follow me. The same instruction, the same command. Peter, follow me. And He's saying, Peter, all things are new. All things are good. All things are restored. Peter, we are reconciled. Let's go. And Peter became a different man. You see, seven weeks later, he's in the streets of Jerusalem. He's calling people to repentance. A church is born. Three thousand people are saved. And Peter looks at the authorities and he tells them, hey, he, he doesn't deny Jesus. He stands up and says, oh, I can tell you I've been with this man. And Peter, Peter bounces in and out of different places and he, he goes to jail. And he recognizes he's there because the one that he served, the one he fell before, is one who he will serve the rest of his life. In fact, when Peter died, history tells us that he was to be crucified. He didn't, said he didn't deserve being crucified like Jesus, so he's crucified upside down. couple of quick lessons and then we'll move on. When I look at Jesus' restoration of Peter, failure is not final. Don't give up. You've got a forgiving Savior. Don't give up. Some of you are latching on to unforgiveness. Some of you are latching on to bitterness, resentment. You want revenge right now. You've fallen far. You've fallen hard. You've fallen like Peter. Don't give up. Don't give up. I wanted to give up this past week. Our kids were in town for the weekend. Our son-in-law told us about uh, um, something called uh, VidAngel. VidAngel is a website you can go to. You can put all these filters on. Uh, they've got a bunch of filters. You can watch movies. You can throw it up on your TV. You can watch movies as well. I don't know how to throw things up on our TV. I am technologically challenged. I can't fix anything. I'm not a mechanic. I can't do anything with technology. Uh, I am not the brightest, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, I'm not the dullest knife in the drawer, but this week I I was a knife with no blade. (laughs) I I mean, so so for about two hours, I guess, Bill and Michelle, our daughter-in-law, son-in-law, showed me how to cast this stuff up on the TV, and and this was on Monday when they were all there and said, Dad, this is what you need to do, you got to do this, this, HDMI this, and you got to do this on the computer, click on this, and you go there. They spent about two hours what most bright people could take 15 minutes learning, but I'm not that bright. And so it took two hours for me to do it. The next day, Bev said, why don't we watch a movie? We have one of our grandkids staying with us. And we're rotating a week at a time in our house. And so we're going to watch the sound of music. And she said, why don't you go to VidAngel, pop it up like they showed you. I said, OK, babe, I'll do that. <laughs> I've been studying about forgiveness. I've been studying about no anger, no resentment, no. hour later, I said, babe, I just can't do this. I give up. I'm done. I took my remote, threw it through the TV, and got I didn't, I didn't do that. <laughs> I, I mean, I sat there and said, babe, I, I just can't do this. I, I felt like, you know, an idiot who belonged back in remedial school to learn how to do what I just learned for two hours the next day and can't get it up there. So she said, well, they did this, this, and this. And in about five minutes, Bev has sound of music up on the screen. <laughs> I, I just wanted to give up. You ever been there with something? I mean, maybe it's not technology for you. Maybe it's something else, something else, something else. That was me. Here's what I'm going to tell you. You have a forgiving savior. Don't give up because he never gives up on you. Ever. One of his closest disciples just rejected him. And when Peter stands on the seashore, he doesn't say, you disappointed me. You cowered you. How could you turn your back on me and The worst possible time. Where were you when I was on the cross? Instead he says, hey Peter, you love me. You love me. You love me. Okay man, let's do it. Follow me. That's what the Savior wants to do for you today. He's a forgiving Savior. And I don't know how far you've fallen, how fast you've fallen, but he wants to restore you. There was another time when Jesus had to apply this. It was from the cross. He looks down from the cross and says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. I mean, you're familiar with that passage. It's found one of the seven sayings in the Gospels, Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them. He forgives a friend in one instance, and he only forgives his enemies. Bev and I were talking about this last night. As you guys know, she's written a book. It's actually available. You can pick it up. There's going to be a book signing here later uh, this month for the ladies. But she's got a chapter in there in forgiveness. And, uh, you know, I've had an up-close experience watching her for the last 40 years this September and watched her work through forgiveness. Someone who's been sexually abused and emotionally abused by family members and through worship, seeing that joy return. And... Sometimes it's friends, sometimes it's enemies you have to forgive. I'm not sure who it is. You know, we live in a world right now, if we'd walk in forgiveness, a lot of the stuff that we're seeing in our nation wouldn't take place. But instead of forgiveness, there's anger and bitterness and rage and resentment everywhere. So, how do we apply this lesson? First of all, we apply it to our sin. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, when you were dead in your sins and in uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Forgiveness starts right there. The Greek word for forgiveness is an interesting word. It's the word, uh, I'm sorry, it means to release from legal or moral obligation or consequence. The minute you were saved, you were no longer in slavery to sin. You were free. Not only were you free, you were given the righteousness of God, imputed righteousness given to you. Not only that, you were adopted by God as his daughter and his son. What an amazing transformation. And you went from death row to living in the house of your master. Hallelujah Hallelujah is right. Amen. I mean, praise God for that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, the lesson applied to us, first of all, I trust that you'll accept Christ for the forgiveness of your sins because you'll never understand forgiveness apart from experiencing the forgiveness he offers. Secondly, lesson applied to others. In Colossians 3.13, bear with each other, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive when they apologize. Forgive when they come to you. Forgive seven times. Forgive 490 times. No. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Pastor Gary, you have no idea the words they used about me and how they spoke to me, how they disrespected me. And you have no idea how they... Here's what I can tell you. When you choose to walk in unforgiveness, a root of bitterness, of resentment takes place in your life. And the person in bondage is not the perpetrator, but it's you. And there's a reason why Jesus says and why the scriptures say a forgiven person forgives. Three applications and we'll close. Application number one, for some of you, you need to extend forgiveness to those who hurt you. You've been hurt. The hurt is real. We're not minimizing that hurt. We're not excusing what they did. It's wrong. But for some of us, we need to extend forgiveness to people who hurt us. That's what Jesus did to Peter. That's what Jesus did from the cross. The teaching of Colossians 3.13 is very clear. Forgive as you've been forgiven in Christ. We do that so we can have a right relationship with our Savior. We want to be in harmony with him. We don't do it to feel better. We don't do it to do anything for the good of the other person, even though it helps both of us. We do it because we want to be in harmony and right relationship with our Savior. So the first thing is we need to extend forgiveness. If you are latching on to unforgiveness in your heart, I pray right now that that you would think, who is that person? Got your pen out? They're sitting next to you, don't write their name down. (laughs) Who is someone who has hurt you and you refuse to forgive? Who is that person? People. I'm going to tell you there's a great weight that will be thrown from your shoulders if you extend forgiveness to them. For some, you might need to talk to. For others, it's just between you and the Lord. Secondly, some of you need to seek forgiveness from people you've hurt. I want you to say something with me right now. Can you say the words, I'm sorry, with me? I'm sorry. Let's do that again. Would you say those words? How hard was that? Two of the most difficult words for some people to get out in the English vocabulary. You've not said I'm sorry in a long time. I'm sorry, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me? Maybe it's a former spouse that walked out on you. Or you walked out on them, rather. This is seeking forgiveness from someone you've hurt. Maybe you walked out on somebody, you haven't sought their forgiveness. Maybe you left kids behind. Maybe you introduced somebody to alcohol, pornography. Maybe you introduced them to bad friends or a bad deal. Maybe you paid for an abortion or had an abortion. Have you not dealt with those issues. You need to extend forgiveness, seek forgiveness. Thirdly, you need to walk in forgiveness, regardless of the response of other people. Reconciliation is not the same thing. Reconciliation is a two-way street. Sometimes because of abuse, reconciliation is not wise. You need boundaries. You need boundaries at times, and you also need to make sure in those situations that you've done all you can from a forgiven heart. Here's the bottom line of the whole teaching here, my friends. Jesus is forgiving. He's forgiving. That house, I don't have time to talk about it. You, you Google up spite houses, S-P-I-T-E houses. I, I got a history lesson on that this week, read about it. And uh, it's people who want to spite other people about building houses next to them to block their views, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It takes place all over our culture. Worship team, would you guys join me up here? Some of you are in bondage today. You need to extend forgiveness To others. Some of you in bondage today, you need to seek forgiveness from others you've hurt. Some of you cannot walk in forgiveness because the hurt continues. And I'm going to invite you this morning to join me up here. Just get on your knees. Maybe you want to come and pray for our nation. Maybe you want to come and pray for yourself. Maybe there's somebody you need to get right with before God. At the end of every service, we're doing two things we're interviewing somebody or showing a video, and uh, then we're singing and having a time of prayer. So, uh, Jim, are you with us this hour? Jim was with us last hour. Jim's, uh, look at Jim Howes back there. Would you thank him for sharing his testimony all the way in the back back there? Let's pop up Jim's testimony. After Jim's testimony is over, we're going to go straight to song. I'm going to be on my knees right here. If you'd like to be prayed over or pray with me, come and join me after the video when the band begins to worship.
1: Okay, I'm going. To DJs going. Yep. I was gonna say, Jim Hiles, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I've been set free from drugs and alcohol. This is how I identify myself every week at Celebrate Recovery. I am a leader. I've been doing this now for five years. My identical twin brother forced me into coming, and uh, he said, just come once. And if you don't like it, you can quit. And I fell in love with it. I ran from God for a long time. My dad was alcoholic and he abused all of us kids. My mom was a good Christian and did the best that she could. At nine, I did my first hit of mescaline and uh, became addicted to drugs and to alcohol. And uh, that became my God. At the time I was 19, I'd been married once. And, you know. I just kept throwing my life away Time I was 30, I'd been to prison once. But when I got to prison, I did something that I had never done before. I talked to God, seriously. And I told him, okay, God, I'm done. I'm tired of playing games. This is real. I don't know what else to do. But I'm your child. And here I am. And whatever it takes, God, I want to be yours. I want to serve you and I want to be here for you. And I got real. Some people say it was um, prison religion, but no, it wasn't prison religion, it was a prison relationship. I met God. While I was in prison, I saw something. Saw people that really loved the Lord with all their heart. And they would drive two hours every night to the prison to have church services. And I thought they were crazy. I said, why wouldn't anybody do that? And they did it because they loved the Lord. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And you could just see it. You know, you could see Jesus in them. And I told him then that I wanted that. And that was just a true relationship. And I've sought every day from that point to have a true relationship with him. My purpose is to serve him. To tell others what he's done in my life how he's changed my life and that I'm not the man that I used to be.